0: Good morning. If you'd like to turn to today's scripture passage, it's in Matthew 5, and we'll be looking at verses 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of God. And so we conclude our Valentine's Day weekend (laughs) with a message on divorce. What a horrible thing for a pastor to do. I promise it is not with any malicious intent. At all. Actually, it's just where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' famous, epic Sermon on the Mount that uh, we've been looking at for the last few months. Uh, we come to, uh, we, we to Jesus' treatment of the issue. Uh, one of a couple of places in the Gospels where Jesus treats uh, this, this speaks directly on this topic. And Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, you may remember this, he said. Unless your righteousness or your attempts at religion, the best attempts that humans can offer up to God in the form of religion, unless your religion exceeds your best attempts, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we've talked about how that righteousness must come from him, not from ourselves. To enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, to know the life of those who are considered by Jesus to be blessed. Now, Jesus previously, in in our other difficult passage that we looked at last week, Jesus illustrated this greater righteousness uh, in terms of sexual purity. Uh, versus uh, our common temptation to lust and to continue in our internal lust and how that's sort of an inward uh, adultery of the heart, as as he put it. But now Jesus is going to turn to what closely relates to lust and our sexual brokenness, divorce. Divorce as opposed to faithfulness. So his illustration of that greater righteousness involves marital faithfulness. Now, if, if I were to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, so don't put your hands up, please, but, but, uh, or at least at your own risk, um, but if I were to ask for a show of hands and I said something like, hey, you know, put up your hand if, if you have been divorced, or if you grew up in a divorced home, if your parents were divorced, or if your children, if your adult children are divorced, almost everybody in the room would put their hand up. Now, if, and if you didn't put your hand up and I said, put your hand up, if the person next to you has their hand up, everybody in the room would have their hand up. Or if I said, put your hand up, if your spouse has his or her hand up, everybody in the room would probably have their hand up. I I don't need to impress upon you or prove to you uh, how divorce wounds us. And so what a gift then, what a gift that our Lord did not neglect the topic What a gift that our Lord chose to address, an issue that was not only problematic then, but even so today. The whole whole arena of marriage and divorce and remarriage is highly complex. I want to be very respectful and gracious today. The whole whole thing is, is very complex, and because of that, it's often misunderstood by Christians, and it's often not only misunderstood, but misapplied. And sometimes it's misapplied by churches and counselors and pastors who are trying to help those who are struggling through these issues uh, because there's no, there's no one fits all uh, in the Bible passage. There's no one passage in the Bible that, that explains every situation, every type of marriage and divorce and remarriage. Um, what we have to do is is use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We have to go to different passages in the Bible and put them together so that we get a healthy, consistent framework on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And and here's a very important principle uh, that we should keep in mind uh, as we interpret the Bible's uh, many passages on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it's this. There is a difference between what God permits And what God intends. We should distinguish, if we're trying to understand the heart of God on marriage and divorce and remarriage, that what God permits and what God intends are two different things. God permits divorce. He intends faithfulness. And that's what we're going to look at today. And as we look at this, I want to talk to you about three things the need for divorce in the marriage arena. I said it, the need for divorce in marriage in some circumstances. And then I wanna talk about what's the norm, which is the need for faithfulness in marriages. And finally, I wanna talk about the need for righteousness in marriage. As an institution and individually, The need for divorce in marriage, the need for faithfulness in marriages, and the need for righteousness in marriage. So uh, the need for divorce in marriage is a necessary reality because of human sin. Now, nowhere in the Bible does God command people to divorce each other, but he permits divorce in order to curb chaos. If you go back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 2, the only thing that wasn't good in all creation was that the man was alone, and God created Eve to be a suitable helper, a life mate on equal terms with Adam. Adam. And what we find out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is the summary of the whole uh, creation of man and woman and the institution of marriage by God account. The summary to the whole thing is, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That hold fast, it, it means sticking together. Hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So God's original intent for marriage, it conveyed not only a partnership, but a permanency to that partnership. This was more than a contract. This was a covenant. God takes it so seriously, and and, and God, through the biblical authors, take marriage so seriously because, and I could do a whole sermon series on this, but you've heard me say this before, because marriage reflects the nature of God in creation. Marriage, like no other human relationship, reflects God's triune nature Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, yet one God, three distinct persons in one God, and marriage reflects the triune nature of God's love, God's faithfulness, and God's joy. But as you keep reading about human history in Genesis, you go to Genesis chapter four, and then you go to Genesis chapter six, and you read stories about Lamech and and the Nephilim. Uh, You see that, that sin contaminated the institution of marriage because sin contaminated human sexuality. And and, and what you begin to see is that women become objectified by men. And so much later in human history and much later in redemptive history, you see God in the law of Moses put some stopgaps in place to curb the chaos and to preserve marriage as he originally intended it. Uh, The the counselor and writer, Jay Adams, uh, several decades ago wrote a very helpful book called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. And Jay Adams in that book, he compares the Bible's view on divorce to our government's view on smoking Uh, and to many other things, by the way. He basically said, this is basically the approach. Uh, The government says, okay, since you're all going to smoke, which will harm you, we're going to regulate smoking. It's that dangerous and it's that important. Um, in a sense, God is saying, since you're going to divorce one another, which will harm you, I'm going to regulate it. And so there are plenty of passages in the Torah, um, in, in the Old Testament law, uh, and actually in, in the Old Testament prophets, where, where God, through the law of Moses, regulates the chaos that's caused by uh, uh, sexual brokenness and by marital uh, dysfunction and chaos. Uh, For instance, the first four verses of Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, Moses, and it's, I really debated whether or not to read this entire passage, but I'm going to read it because you just really have to understand this. Um, Moses said, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then, her former husband who has sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. Now notice something. You don't see here a command to get a divorce. You see a regulation of common practices that God knew the Israelites would continue in a fallen world. God is essentially saying, look, guys, he's talking to the men. He's saying, look, guys, think twice before you try to get out of your marriage covenant. And guys, since women are getting pushed around, I'm installing some safeguards. In, in my country, Israel, w- with my people chosen by my name, out of all the peoples of the earth, I'm going to put some safeguards in place. And, and, and this is just one of many examples of how the God of the Bible demanded justice for the weak. When you look at women like Hagar and Rahab and Ruth, their stories in the Old Testament reveal God's high priority for distressed women. Actually, it was in Malachi. Uh, where God said, the man who does not love, oh, I I didn't actually put that on a slide. I'll I'll just read it to you. Malachi 2.16, for the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Jesus now is going to show the spirit of God's law The truth of it, the the original intent of the law of God. He's going to now show that God's law was getting buried in technicalities. The spirit of the law was getting buried by Jesus' day in technicalities. So he says in verse 31 of Matthew Matthew chapter 5, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious system of Jesus' day, was basically saying this to people and really to men. If you want a divorce, draw up the papers and send her on her way. Moses said so. That's not what Moses said at all. But that's the idea that was being passed around by the religious establishment. And it's what was happening. It's exactly what was happening in the day of Moses. And it's what was happening in the day of Jesus. And Jesus is really saying, you know, with their low view of women... The religious establishment has given husbands a right to divorce with impunity. Actually, one camp of rabbis believed that a man could divorce his wife for any reason, for a bad meal, like you didn't put old Bay on the food, or, or, or for, for just having an unpleasant attitude. Uh, the well-known leader, Josephus, uh, did exactly that, divorced his wife for a bad attitude. Um, and so Jesus, in response to this attitude that was prevalent, he says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is saying this basically, if a wife through sexual immorality, commits adultery, then obviously the marriage, the marriage covenant is broken. But for any other reason, if a husband sends his wife away, it's an invalid divorce. And he goes further. He's, he's saying, and he's forcing her, a woman who is now destitute, because women in ancient society had, they didn't have rights. A woman sent out of the house in an ancient society was, was destitute. She was on her own. She had nothing. She had nobody. So he's saying not only, not, only, not only is it an invalid divorce, but the husband is forcing her, now a destitute woman, into the arms of another man, causing her and the other man to basically be adulterers. Remember back in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 5, last week we looked at that, he basically says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've basically committed adultery with her in, in your heart. Remember, it's like okay, so you've never you've never gotten a, you've never actually committed adultery. Well, what about your mind, guys? What about your hearts? If you even look at another person in order to covet them, to covet what God has not given you, you've you've done the thing you've you're trying to avoid. You've done it in your heart, and now he's going a step further. He say he's saying, you know, you see a woman that you want, and you've committed adultery with her in a heart in your heart, and now you divorce your own wife to get her forcing her and whoever she runs into the arms of to commit adultery as well because the original contract um, still holds. Your divorce was invalid. Actually, there's a parallel passage that helps us understand even more clearly what Jesus is saying here. If you go further in Matthew's gospel, to Matthew chapter 9, the first nine verses, uh, you get a, a more robust explanation of, of what he actually says to the scribes and Pharisees there. Um, but he's basically saying there, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. So he shows it from both angles. He says, regardless of the situation, this is what you're doing. He's saying, not only only, uh, do they have adulterous hearts, but they've designed an adulterous system. The system is crooked. They took what was intended as an exception, and they made it the rule. That's the idea. But the exception really was necessary. That's Moses' point in in Deuteronomy that Jesus does not overlook. The exception really was a necessary, rea- necessary reality exactly because of the situation that Jesus is describing. That's why the exception is there, because of what we do to one another. That type of divorce, it'll, the kind of di- divorce that you see in the Old Testament, the type of divorce that the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day had corrupted and manipulated for their own purposes, That kind of divorce allows an offended spouse the option. Notice I said option. The option of leaving a broken covenant. And Jay Adams also wrote, divorce always stems from sin, but it is not necessarily sinful. So since divorce is an exception, what's the norm? What's God's intended norm? Marriage as an institution needs faithfulness. Faithful couples, but also a faithful church, just as important. Let me explain what I mean. The norm is that God wants couples to last, and more importantly, not just to last, not to just kind of ex- like live on life support, uh, but to promote mutual health within the couple, The Apostle Paul would take all of this, Genesis 2 and what Jesus the Lord had said, and and he would put it into his letters. And one such letter, Ephesians chapter 5, he said, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. There's that one flesh idea again. So now Moses has said it, Jesus said it, and now the Apostle Paul said it, so it must be important. Paul said, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Okay, so this idea of caring for your spouse as you are caring for yourself, literally to care for your spouse is to care for yourself, Paul says. And this is, seems to be the key that, that covers almost any situation. Caring for your spouse, caring for one another as you care for yourself, to see it the same way, is the greatest guard against every temptation to quit a marriage. Actually, uh, so our our denomination, we have a statement of faith, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, it's old, but helpful. And uh, actually there's one part in the Confession of Faith, chapter 24, I think, uh, where it talks about marriage and it talks about divorce and remarriage. And at one point, uh, the Westminster divine said, and I, I think they summarized all of scripture very well when they said, nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can no way be remedied by the church or the civil magistrate or the state, okay, is cause sufficient of dissolving the bonds of marriage. So when you look at all of Scripture's teaching, there are two legitimate reasons that are permitted by God for divorces to take place, adultery and willful desertion. And because of time, I can't get into willful desertion today, Uh, but we'll focus on on the first part, which is what Jesus is is addressing in this passage. Uh, Put these aside, adultery, willful desertion, put these aside for a second, and I can honestly say to you, there is... No temptation exists that cannot be overcome by mutual care. One caring for the other as their own body, as their own self. There is no temptation that cannot be overcome when we look to the mutual care each for the other. Now, if you're, look, if you're concerned, okay, because all of our lives have been marred in some way. um, If you're thinking about all of this, and you're concerned that some past divorce that, that you experienced um, in, in one way or another was not justifiable. Um, look, don't live in guilt. Please don't live in guilt. Don't allow yourself to live in guilt. Jesus says, when somebody is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Don't live in guilt. Now, maybe, maybe you need to go back and apologize to somebody. A good friend of mine in ministry, uh, he was divorced, um, became a Christian. Um, he went back to his former wife. Now, she was remarried, and he was remarried, and so nothing else was going to happen. But he went back and asked for forgiveness for the way he behaved when they were married and, and his part in what brought them to a divorce. Uh, it may mean, you don't, don't live in guilt, but it may mean that you have to go back and apologize to somebody from your past. Or it may mean that you need to forgive somebody in your heart. From your past and how they hurt you, which led to that breakup. But don't live in guilt. Which leads me to talk about the necessity for churches to be faithful in this whole situation of marriage and divorce and remarriage. We just don't, we won't simply put the burden of responsibility on men and women uh, to pursue faithfulness in their marriages and stick together. The church must be faithful to women and to men, and especially to children who have been harmed by divorce. The church needs to be faithful. We should guard ourselves against marginalizing divorcees as though they've committed some unpardonable sin. There's only one unpardonable sin in the Bible. It's to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in your life. The only unpardonable sin is obvious. It's to reject God. Other than that, there is no unpardonable sin. And too often uh, churches uh, treat divorcees as though they have an asterisk next to their name. And it's not right. And we should guard against that way of thinking. Shame on, actually, I think it's, It it is on, if you're struggling over a past broken marriage, by the grace of God, it is on you to see that you do not allow yourself to live in guilt. But it is on the church. It is on us as a church to see that our friends and our brothers and sisters do not live in shame. Guilt is something they have to deal with in their hearts. Shame is something that we have to deal with as a faith community. Shame on the church that does not attempt to become a haven for distressed divorcees. Notice Jesus intentionally, intentionally gave greater concern for wives. Why? Because women are more marginalized in the world, especially in ancient society. The burden of weight was on men because by and large, they were causing the problem. And God is always going to say, I am for whoever in the culture or in your group or in the situation, whoever is downcast, whoever is easily trodden upon, I'm for those people. Whatever the society is, whatever the situation is, whoever is getting abused and manipulated and kicking around, God says, I am for those people. I see them. I am looking out for them. I think that should be a warning to people who are abusers in the home. I think it should be a warning from Jesus, not a threat from me, but a warning from Jesus. And, and if I can speak for the leaders of this church, we will not tolerate that. We won't tolerate abuse in the home. And if you're a member, there'll be consequences for it. We will, in love, help you repent if you're hurting and abusing the people in your home. We will in love help you repent, or we will in love help you leave. God wants faithful marriages, and he wants a faithful church assisting people when marriages fail. Now, if you're uncomfortable with all of this, I'm just giving you the news. I'm just giving you what Jesus has, I'm just giving you God's view on things. I've tried to not represent anything in scripture in my own way. I've tried to present clearly everything that God has said in scripture, at least just a portion of everything that he said in scripture. Um, Listen, understand that God's View on things is really important. And and, and I would encourage you today as a takeaway to seek to understand God's view on all of this stuff before you make hasty decisions that have far-reaching consequences. Isn't that what Jesus and Moses were trying to curb? Hasty decisions that had far-reaching consequences. Whether you're male or female or husband or wife or whether you're married or single, all of us can aim to understand God's view on a thing before we act. And understand this also, when the Pharisees confronted Jesus on this very thing, it's like when he was on the Sermon on the Mount, when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he knew they were gonna address this, Uh, so he addressed it. But then when when the Pharisees tried to trap him later on in his ministry and they took him to task on this issue, And so this all comes up again in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, you know why Moses let people, you know why Moses let people get a divorce? He says, it's because of the hardness of your hearts. That's why Moses allowed this. That's why there's an exception clause in God's beautiful plan for marriage. Because of the hardness of our hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus has already told us. So Interesting. Beneath the symptom of contempt for a spouse is a contempt for your maker. When things went poorly in the Garden of Eden, between Adam and Eve, between Adam and Eve and the serpent, when all that happened, right? And God, they were hiding with their, when uh, they invented lingerie, when they uh, found the fig leaves, uh, when they were hiding with their fig leaves, right? And God found them and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on? Well, we're hiding from you. Why? Oh, well, because... And he's like, well, wait a minute. You, did you eat the fruit? Who told you to eat the fruit? Who told you you were naked? What's going on? You remember what the man said? He said, he began his spiel with the woman you put me in here with. Right, so not only did Adam try to deflect the blame on Eve, and now Paul made sure that that wouldn't happen because in the New Testament, Paul says our, our sin is inherited from Adam. All right? But what did Adam try to do? He not only tried to deflect the blame on his wife, he specifically said to God, the one you put me here with. What's buried beneath the deflection was a contempt for God. Jesus has a high, beautiful view of marriage and he grieves it. He grieves for our low view of it. So Jesus committed himself. He committed himself, body and spirit, to make marriage righteous. He left it in nobody else's hands but his own to fix the situation. Now, you may remember we've talked about righteousness. It's at the heart of, it's at the, heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, righteousness is basically being made right with God. It's, it's, being, it's being acceptable. It's being back in right relationship with your creator. Um, So God made us right with him, think about it, through a marriage. God used a marriage to reconcile humanity to himself. When we look at more more fully what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So God's son died for his wife, his own flesh, he died for his bride, the church. He died specifically to reconcile her back to him. Check out the Old Testament. Do you know that the Old Testament prophets describe God as a husband who divorced his wife because of her unfaithfulness? Have you ever thought for a second to consider that God is a divorcee? Check it out. Look at Hosea. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah. So, so Jesus, God in Jesus, took that divorce certificate, that legal document representing everything that we had done to him, the reason why he sent us out of the house. Jesus took that legal certificate of divorce and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus bore the guilt. Jesus bore the shame of our, our, our hard Hearted infidelity against his heavenly father. Jesus, the perfect one. Jesus bore our guilt. Jesus bore our shame. All the guilt and shame of, of the typical adulterous person in Scripture who gets kicked from house to house. Think of the woman at the well that Jesus meets in Samaria. All the shame, the public shame of that, all the interpersonal guilt. Jesus took it all with that, support, that, that divorce certificate, he took it all to the cross and he died for it all. Why would he do that? Why would the perfect one put himself in a situation as though he had committed the adultery himself? Well, Paul tells us why he did it. So that he might present the church, his bride, to himself in splendor. So that she might be holy and without blemish. Remember what Moses said? You guys are going to start divorcing your wives for any little reason. Any indecency you find, you're going to divorce her. And that's what they did. And they turned it into an entire system. And, 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 and what was the system? It was if we're not satisfied over even the smallest thing, we give up. We move on. That's a very American thing to do. We're, not unsat- we're unsatisfied, we're born consumers, good. We'll move on to the next person. We'll move on to the next thing. This isn't doing it for me right now, right? It, for the smallest blemish, what is Jesus doing? He died on the cross so that his wife would have no more blemishes. And I'm not talking about the petty little blemishes than you, that you and I invent and con- concoct in our hearts. I'm talking about the lack of holiness, in the presence of God, the blemish that he and his his perfection and love and justice sees in all of us individually and corporately. That's what Jesus is, is going after. But here's the amazing thing. He doesn't wait for our perfection. He doesn't wait for the perfection of his bride to woo her back to himself. What do we do? We say, get right with me and I'll let you back. That's what we do to one another. Even outside of marriage, that's what we do. It's our lives. Get right with me and I'll let you back. Get right with me and I'll accept you again. And that's really what the best of human religion offers. Get right with God and maybe he'll accept you back. It's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus made things right. Jesus made things right so that you could be with him. And now he is in the process of making you perfect without any blemish. Jesus died for his wife in order to woo her back to him so that he could purify her. Because something beautiful is gonna happen at the end of human history. Read the book of Revelation. You discover that human history will culminate in a glorious wedding feast that's gonna outmatch any fairy tale Disney's been able to concoct for us as fun as they are. Think of the best wedding you ever went to, right? Jesus is going to outspend the best wedding you've ever been to. The food's going to be better. The music's going to be better. We have a pretty good idea that the wine's going to be great. Jesus is going to, his wedding to his bride is going to outmatch any celebration you have ever seen because he loves us that much. And he's preparing us for it. Jesus redeemed his marriage to us. Now trust him. Trust his view on things with your own. Whether it's present or past. Or maybe yet to come. You can always be preparing for the future, some of you. We discover in this gospel of God's grace, we discover that God was an abandoned spouse. And so he sympathizes with those of us who have been rejected. And we also discover that God in Jesus Christ was a faithful spouse who gave his all, his very life, to redeem the marriage. So there is a difference between what God permits and what God intends. He intends faithfulness, and He made sure Himself that faithfulness is possible even in this lifetime. The Christian community is called to demonstrate a counterculture view on marriage. And we present it by practicing a counterculture way of marriage. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, would you consider investigating How Jesus understands these things. This is a guy who has been tested. He knows how to redeem a marriage. Would you consider Jesus's view on things? If you're a Christian, but you are struggling with a marriage or with a divorce or with some remarriage, whatever it is, I know it's complex. I know it's painful and we need to be patient with one another. But if you are following Christ, will you seek to understand his view on things. Trust the man who redeemed his own marriage with your own. Let's pray. Our great God, as we prepare to come to your table, the table that Jesus prepared for us to remember his great act of devotion, uh, Lord, we confess to you that uh, none of us, none of us have been perfect in this area. Um, Father, we confess that, that, that we often do not love the other person as we love ourselves. Um, Father, we praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that his wife could come back to him, who laid down his life so that his wife can be perfect and beautiful, acceptable in your sight. Uh, Lord, for all of us as singles, as married couples, and regardless of what our past has been, regardless of what our future looks like, uh, Lord, teach us to look to Jesus. Um, and to allow his view on things and his power to reconcile us to you and his power to heal us and to guide us, uh, to guide our our own situations. And and Lord, I just conclude this prayer with that beautiful song we sung. Uh, We praise you for the church's one foundation, Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood He bought her, and for her life, he died. Amen.